Man, oh man, hadn't those videos been great? Can we just take a minute to give it up for our video team and creative department? I love that. So, so good. Hey, my name is Andy. I'm the pastor at our Oak Ridge location. And it's so good to be with all of you in Kernersville. For all of you joining us in Oak Ridge, hey, what's up, everybody? Can't wait to get back over there with you next week. And for all of you joining us online, we're so glad that you have joined us today from wherever you're watching this or whenever you're watching it. Because today we are wrapping up this series called What's the Point? What's the point? What is the point of these stories and these parables? that Jesus told over 2,000 years ago, and how do they apply to us even today? Now today, we're gonna wrap up this series looking at what I believe is probably one of the most familiar stories, most familiar parables that Jesus told. It is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now I would imagine for all of you, when you hear the words Good Samaritan, there's probably something that comes to your mind There's some context that maybe you have about what we're gonna talk about today. Maybe for some of you, you think back to a time in your life where you kind of maybe were stranded or you were in need of someone to help you out and someone came along and just offered you kindness out of the goodness of their heart. And maybe you said, huh, there's still good Samaritans in the world, right? Maybe for some of you, when you hear the word good Samaritan, it reminds you of the hundreds of hospitals and nonprofits all over the world that use these two words in their name, Good Samaritan. Actually, there's two right here in the triad that we as a church partner with. Uh, One of those is over in Winston-Salem, and they serve the homeless community there. It's called Samaritan Ministries. You guys may have heard about them. There's another one up in Stokesdale in the Northwest Guilford community that we partner with, and their name is the Good Samaritan Ministries. And they kind of help meet uh, food insecurities, help people that maybe have just fallen behind on a bill and maybe just need kind of a little bit of a hand up. So when you give to this church, when you give to the summit, you are a part of two great agencies right here in the triad that are doing incredible things to encourage other people. Now, how many of you guys, show of hands, both here in Kernersville and Oak Ridge, how many of you guys have heard that there is some version in all 50 states of a Good Samaritan law. Is there anybody that's heard that? It was kind of new to me, but I, after I started researching, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Now you may be wondering like, well, what is a Good Samaritan law? Well, this law is meant to protect you in the case that you ever have a chance to be a Good Samaritan and you actually take it into action. Now you may be thinking like, well, why would, why would I need protection from someone if I am being a good Samaritan to them. Let me, let me kind of give you some context, okay? Let's say that you and your family are eating dinner at Don Juan's or it, you may be over at Rio Grande in Oak Ridge and uh, you're sitting there, you're enjoying your ACP or if you're like me, I eat some Texacana nachos. I'm just saying those, mm, gosh, they're so stinking good. And if you're just enjoying a meal and maybe a couple of tables down, Someone gets choked on their burrito, okay? They got a little bit too much queso, a little bit too much rice up in there, and man, it just gets lodged right here. And all of a sudden, they start panicking. They jump up out of their seat, and they're grabbing their throat, and you can just feel the atmosphere change in the room. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And you jump up out of your seat, and you take off running, and you go all Miss Doubtfire on him. You guys remember Miss Doubtfire, right? I'm coming to save you, honey. You get over there behind him, and you get behind him, and you start, ugh. You give him the helmet maneuver. And after a few different, a few squeezes, that burrito shoots out of their mouth and lands over on someone else's plate. Now, you've ruined that person's meal, okay? But here is what the Good Samaritan Law protects you from. 
that in the case that while you were saving this person's life, you break a couple of their ribs in the process because you really got into it, missed out firewise, they can't sue you for breaking their ribs. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, who would do that? You just saved their life. Y'all, we live in America, okay? Let me just remind you, that's kind of what happens here. Now, there are eight states that take this law and they go a little bit further um, along. And in these eight states, if you see someone who is in need or in distress, maybe there's a wreck that's happened on the side of the road, someone is hurt, and you choose to kind of just turn the blind eye to them and kind of look the other way, you don't stop to check on them, you don't call 911, you do nothing. In these eight states, you can actually be criminally charged. Yikes. Now, rest at ease, everybody in Kernersville, Oak Ridge, everybody in North Carolina, we don't really care about people here, right? We don't have that law here in North Carolina. Now, for some of you who maybe are watching in a different state, you might wanna look into that and see if you can be criminally charged by not being a good Samaritan to someone in need. Now, no matter what state we live in, what we're gonna find out from the story today is that as Christ followers, you and I have an obligation to be a good Samaritan, to love our neighbors as ourselves, as a Christian, no matter what the law says, you and I have an obligation to do something. So the story we're looking at today is a story that Jesus told, and it's actually found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke records this. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab your Bible, turn to chapter 10, and we're gonna be looking at verses 25 through 37. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, it's perfectly okay. As we always do, we're gonna put the scripture up here on the screen so you can follow along. Now, before we jump in, let me kind of give you just a little bit of context. Is that okay? I want you to understand what's kind of happening during this time. So Jesus and his disciples are now like in full season of ministry. They're traveling around. They're doing all kinds of incredible things. Jesus is teaching these stories these parables of how to live a life and what Jesus has to do with all of that. And he's teaching about this kingdom of God that is coming, this kingdom that he is bringing. He's healing people. Y'all, people are bringing sick people to him. They're bringing people that are crippled. And with one touch, Jesus is able to heal them, help people that never could walk to be able to walk. So you can imagine that during this time, as they're traveling around, there's kind of a following that are following Jesus around because people are like, man, I gotta bring my friend over here. You know, they've been sick and if there's any hope of anyone being able to do anything, it's Jesus, I gotta get him to him. So there, he started creating this following. Now, let me just be honest with you. Everybody that is in the crowd there, they are not in, all are not in favor of this Jesus. In fact, he has some haters. Don't you know that anytime there's something good happening in life, there's always gonna be some haters that show up. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so there's these haters. We know them as kind of Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. Let me tell you why they hated Jesus. It's because for them, they had committed their life to the Jewish law. They had committed themselves to following and studying the law, the Mosaic law of Moses. And for them, they wanted everybody to also follow that law. And Jesus comes along and he's now making God available to everyone. Through himself and through grace, now everyone can have a relationship with God. And they're like, hold up, no, we don't like that. We want everybody to earn it. We want everybody to have this merit badge type of faith, this merit badge type of relationship. So Luke records this conversation that happens between Jesus 
and a Mosaic lawyer. Now, when you and I think lawyer, let me just kind of explain. We always go to those commercials. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, if you've been hurt at work, you just call 1-800-such-and-such-and-such-and-such, and we promise to get you the money that you're entitled to, and we don't get paid unless you get paid, right? Anybody else watch too much TV like me? Yep. <laughs> it's not that type of lawyer. The Jewish lawyer in this context is someone who has studied and mastered the law of Moses so that they can interpret and help people understand all the do's and all the don'ts in order to be able to have a right, right relationship with God. So in this conversation, you've got an authority of the law, this Jewish lawyer, who has come to test the author of the law, Jesus, who is God. So let's dive right in. We're gonna look at chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And I'm just gonna read it all the way through. So hang with me and then we're gonna come back and we're kind of dive into it a little bit deeper. Is that cool? All right, here we go. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to the man and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell on the hands of the robber? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So what I wanna do for the next little bit of time that we have is I'd like to kind of dive into the text. I kinda of wanna give you a little bit more behind the scenes. I kinda of wanna do just a little bit of teaching if you're okay with that. I'm hoping that through explaining a little bit more of the context and the story that's happening here that you and I will have a better understanding of what this means so that we can walk away from here today and kind of put this into action. So we got this Jewish lawyer, he comes to Jesus and he's like, Listen, Jesus, I've been following you around for some time now, and uh, you know, you keep talking about this whole like inheriting the kingdom of heaven. I'm just curious, like, if, if that's something I want to do, like, how would I go about that? What do I have to do in order to inherit this kingdom that you are talking about? 
Now, Jesus, remember, he's God. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you imagine having a conversation with God and he's able to like read your mind? He knows your motives and all that kind of stuff. Jesus is like, I know what you're doing here, dude. You're one of those haters. You know, you're like, you come here just to kind of catch me in something. So I'll play along. So Jesus kind of reverses the question back onto him. And he says, okay, smarty pants, like, you know the law. You know, you've spent your whole life dedicating your life to studying the law. And I'm just curious, like, what does the law say that you must do in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven? How do you interpret it? And the Jewish lawyer, he kind of was like, <laughs> well, since you asked, kind of puffs his chest out a little bit. He's like, well, let me just kind of start by quoting a little bit of Deuteronomy 6.5 and a little of Leviticus 19.18 and that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, ding, 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 ding. Tell them what they've won, Johnny. Just go and do that and you will live. In other words, what Jesus is saying, if you'll just take your profession and line it up with your practice, then you'll be good. He's saying, listen, if you'll just take all that head knowledge that you have, everything that you have been studying and begin to put that into practice, and everything will be fine. And by saying this, what Jesus was insinuating is that the Jewish lawyer wasn't doing that. Now, Jesus being God, he understands that this isn't gonna satisfy the man, but he's taking him somewhere. And he wants him to kind of figure this out for himself, so he allows the conversation to continue. So the Jewish lawyer asks, so... You know, Jesus, I just want to make sure I got this right. Clarify just for a second. Like, who exactly is my neighbor? Like, I want to make sure, like, I, I know, you know, Sally, and, you know, every time Sally's out of town, you know, I, I go over, I pull her empty trash can back up to her house. And, you know, me and Bobby, we like to, we like to go fishing together. And, uh, you know, Sal, uh, Sue, she lives over there in the cul-de-sac. You know, she's one of my neighbors, I know. But I'm just curious, Jesus, like, who else? And maybe he grabs, like, a scribe and he gets his pen. He's like, okay, I'm ready. Just who exactly is my neighbor? I want to make sure that I, I get all these right. And what he's doing is he's trying to create like a, a checkbox. He's like, I, I wanna make sure that I get all of these people that you say are my neighbor, but let's be honest, like I don't, I don't wanna do any more than what's required. I just wanna make sure I hit the bare minimum. Now, before you and I go judging him, can I just be honest with you? Most likely if it had been you in the conversation or me in the conversation, we probably would have done the exact same thing. Isn't this what we do? We try to create check boxes. If you're type A like me, like I need, to, I need a list, I need to go down through it, I need to check this off in order to go to this step, I need to do this, and I wanna make sure if I'm gonna inherit this eternal, you know, eternal life that you're talking about, just give me the, the check box. Parents, we know this, right? I'm gonna pick on my daughters here just for a minute. So if, if we're gonna go out to eat, maybe with some friends or something at night, and uh, it's the weekend, right? So and we tell our kids, hey, we're gonna be going out to eat with so-and-so, but before we can do that, I need you to go clean your room. Anybody else make their kids clean their room? Yeah, you need to make your kids clean their room. So we're like, you need to go clean your room. And what do they do? <laughs> Maybe your kids don't do this, but my girls look at me and go, dad, really? Gotta clean our room? It's like we just did that last week. Yeah, I know, it's part of your weekly chores. Um, dad, uh, just to clarify, like when you say clean 
our room. Like, do you mean make the bed? Because, you know, we're just gonna get right back in it in just a few hours now. It doesn't really make sense to make my bed when I'm gonna get right back in it. And yes, it means make your bed. Okay, one more question, Dad. Um, now, when you say clean our room, does that include dusting? Y- yes. Ah, oh, Dad, really? Includes dusting? Like, I got all that stuff on my dresser. Are, are you wanting me to take everything off of the dresser and dust the whole dresser? Is it okay if I just kind of dust around it, right? Isn't this what they do? But then if we're being honest, as adults, this is what we do as well. We're like, what's the bare minimum it's gonna take in order to satisfy the situation and to get by? Let me just be honest with you. This is what we do with our faith. Ooh. Just share with you just what I've heard over a decade now of being in ministry. Like, pastor, like, you know, I know the Bible says that, you know, you're supposed to pray. You should probably pray daily, right? Pray without ceasing. What does that even mean? Um, it, am I good as long as like I just say, you know, that blessing before my food, you know, ask God to bless the food. You know, God is great. God is good. And, you know, if, if I have time and, and I don't fall asleep, you know, sometimes I get in bed and I'm so tired. I'll even say the whole now and lay me down to sleep, you know, prayer. But I'm just, just wondering, like, is, is that good? Is that good? Uh, you know, Pastor, I know you talk about the whole tithing thing and giving to church, but I'm just curious, like, does that tenth, does that like, is that a tenth on what I have left at the end of the month? Because, you know, we got all these bills and I mean, it's so much to pay for. Like, money's tight right now and the Lord knows my heart, right? I'm just curious, like, is that tithing, is that supposed to be pre-tax or after tax? Just wondering. And see, that's what the Jewish lawyer was doing during this time. He's like, God, Jesus, I just want to make sure I get all this right. Like, if you could just create a checkbox for me. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan in order for the man to know that there was much less about a checkbox and more about a lifestyle that he was wanting him to live. So Jesus tells this story, and the story is about a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, you need to understand that when the people there in the audience heard this, Jerusalem to Jericho Road, everybody had a little bit of context, okay? They're like, oh yeah, I know what you mean. It'd be kind of me like me saying, oh, let's go from Greensboro to Winston. And I said, I'm gonna get on I-40. You'd be like, oh yeah, I got some context to that. That's, I know exactly what you're talking about. They had some type of context. And this particular road from Jerusalem to Jericho was about an 18 mile stretch and it fell in elevation about 3,500 feet. It was very rocky, it was very desolate, and it had a reputation not just for things going wrong, but it had a reputation for a lot of like criminal activity. It was a place where a lot of times criminals and robbers would hang out in order to steal people's possessions as they were traveling back and forth to the temple. Because you got to remember at this time, most people were kind of Jewish in this particular area, and they would have to travel from Jericho up to Jerusalem in order to go to the temple in order to make their sacrifices. So that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is telling the story, and this man is traveling on this road, and he says that along the way, these criminals come along and they rob him. They beat him up, and they leave him half dead on the side of the road. Now, put yourself there in the context of the story. We're not sure, like, is the man conscious? If he is, maybe he's groaning, maybe he's calling for help. We're not sure, is this at nighttime? Does he see what's really happening? Maybe the buzzards are starting to circle overhead, ready to fly in 
and consume his body. And Jesus says that three different people come along. The first is a priest. Now, this would have been common road for the priest to travel up to the temple because in this time, the priest had responsibilities there in the temple. He had to go up and do certain things. So the priest comes along, he sees the man over there, and what does he do? I'm gonna tiptoe around, maybe nobody will see me. And he looks at the situation, and he's like, you know, I, I would help, but uh, I might get unclean. And I, I gotta go to the temple, and I have responsibilities in the temple. I, I just ain't got time right now. So he sees the situation, and he does nothing. Jesus says that a second person can come along. It was a Levite, and at this time, a Levite also had responsibilities in the temple. He would be considered maybe a worship pastor or an associate pastor, and we're not sure, is he traveling to the temple or maybe going back home, but he sees the wounded traveler, and what does he do? Same thing. Kind of says, ah, I would, but my kids are playing in a travel tournament this weekend. I need to get back. I need to get back home. I, I would, but I have all these responsibilities, and I just can't get time right now to do that. We're not sure what the excuses were, but it's noteworthy to point out that Jesus didn't even feel like it was noteworthy to mention the excuses in the story. It really didn't matter. The first two people came along and they looked at the man and they said, if I get involved, what could happen to me? What could happen to me? And then Jesus says that a third person comes along. A Samaritan man comes along and chooses to do something different. Now, I wanna make sure you understand the significance of Jesus saying there was a Samaritan man. In this time, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people hated each other, y'all. I mean, hated each other, more than like Carolina Duke fans hate each other. You follow me? Like, they hated each other. 700 years of hate. So for Jesus to use a Samaritan man in the story who would eventually be the hero, who would eventually be the kind of example for this Jewish leader to look at and go, this is what loving my neighbor looks like. You have to understand that for the Jewish leader and for the Jewish people in the audience, there was probably, when he said Samaritan man, the hair probably stood up on the back of their neck. There was probably some tension that kind of started boiling up and then they got tense in the moment. They're like, why would he choose to use a Samaritan man? And Jesus says that the Samaritan man saw the wounded traveler and he went over, he had compassion. He took pity on the man. He began to dress his wounds. He began to put alcohol on him to, cre uh, to relieve some of the pain that the man was feeling. It says that he began to put oil on those so it could start healing so it would make sure that it didn't get infected. And it says that he took him and put him on the back of his Silverado and drove him to the nearest Marriott and took care of him. No, I'm just making sure you're still listening. He actually put him on his donkey and he took him to the nearest inn. He stayed with him overnight, continuing to take care of the man. And when it was time for him to leave the next day, he paid the innkeeper two denaria and said, if you'll continue to take care of him, when I come back, I'll make sure I settle up his bill. Now, I don't wanna just skip over that part. You need to understand when we say two denaria, this would have been considered two days worth of wages for this man to invest into possibly a complete stranger, someone that had no background with him, someone who possibly didn't even believe what he believed. It says that he invested this into him. And Jesus looks at the Jewish lawyer and he says, out of these three people, 
Which one was neighborly to the man who was robbed and beaten? And the Jewish man says, the one who took mercy on him. The one that showed kindness, the one that stopped and took care of him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. In other words, if you wanna know what loving your neighbor looks like, it's not about a checkbox. It's about being neighborly to people around you that maybe are different than you, that look different, that vote different, that think different, believe different. He said, if you wanna know what being neighborly is, go and be like that person. Now, this story of the Good Samaritan, it has been used all over the world to change lives. People have used this story to do incredible acts of kindness for other people in times of need. And people who don't even consider themselves Christians, people who don't even consider them Christ followers, they don't even follow Jesus, they take this story and they do great things in order for other people to experience kindness and mercy. And if I were being honest with you, some of these people who don't even consider them Christians, sometimes they even do it better than us as Christians. They show mercy and kindness sometimes better than what we do. Now, this isn't a competition, but let me just tell you why I feel like, as Christians, we should be the best Good Samaritans on the planet. It's because at some point, you and I were the wounded traveler. We identify with the wounded traveler. See, you and I, through the journey of life, our road in life, we have been beaten, we have been robbed, we have been told that we have no value, and even to the point to where Paul says we weren't halfway dead, we were dead in our transgressions, in our sins. But yet God did what? In his love and in his mercy for you and I, he sent Jesus to be our rescuer, to be our good Samaritan. He came and he said, listen, I know what your scars look like. I know what this world has told you, but listen, you're more valuable than that. He began to invest into us. He began, he even paid our cost of our sins on the cross and said, you are my sons and daughters. You see, you and I should be the best good Samaritans because we have been served by the best good Samaritan. And here at the summit, we like to say, we had this whole mission statement of receive and share the love of Jesus. See, we receive his love, but it was never meant to stop with us. It was never meant for us just to harness this Good Samaritan story of Jesus. We were meant to go and be Good Samaritans and share his love with those around us. It was never meant to stop with us. And when you and I choose to love our neighbors as ourselves in the story of the Good Samaritan, this is when you and I display the heart of Christ to our communities, to our world. So I wanna ask you two questions and hopefully these are gonna kind of drive home our point today and kind of give us some application. And the first question I wanna ask you is the same question that the Jewish leader asked Jesus, but I wanna ask it for a different motive. He was asking it for a point of a checkbox system. But through the story of the Good Samaritan, I believe God revealed something about the man's heart. So I believe by asking you and I this question today, maybe God wants to reveal something about our heart. And the question is, who is my neighbor. Who is your neighbor? It's not just this person who physically lives around you, but who is your neighbor? Now, in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus chose to use a man that was hated, 
a man that he could see, no, the, the Jewish leader saw no value in in order to teach him what being neighborly was all about. It was a person that he despised, a person that possibly was the most obnoxious person that he could ever imagine. Yes, I'm talking about some of those Carolina fans. Maybe God wants you to be neighborly to him. You still listening to me? Okay, good. Who is it that if you were being honest today, that you would say, that person's maybe someone who's hard for me to be neighborly to. Jesus, do you really mean them? My mother-in-law? Really? Maybe. Who is it that maybe is difficult for you to look at and say, I could show them compassion. I could show them pity. I could love on them. Maybe it's the person that we all see on the side of the road when we go into Greensboro and Winston that's holding that sign. And what do we do? What do I do? Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Uh, okay, there's, I can go in that lane, and I don't think I'll be as close to him. Sound familiar? In those moments, I'm acting just like the priest and the Levite. So who is it for you that if you're being honest that you're like, oh, this is the person who is difficult for me to love? You see, from the story, what I, learned, what I figure we learn is this, is that when it comes to who is my neighbor, our neighbor becomes someone whose need we see, we feel, and we are able to meet. A neighbor is someone whose need we see, we, take, we see it and we go, okay, there's, there's a need. We feel it, we have compassion, we have pity for it, and we are able to do something about it. This is what Jesus defines in the story of who our neighbor is. And I believe the purpose of this is for you and I to begin to see people with the eyes and with the compassion and the heart that Jesus has for us. The second question is this. What does loving my neighbor really look like? What does my loving my neighbor really look like? Now that I've defined that anyone can be my neighbor, anyone who find, maybe is in need, what does loving them really look like? And what we learn from the story is it's not enough just to see someone and to have compassion on them, to have pity on them. That love means, loving my neighbor means moving from compassion to action. It is moving from compassion to action. It is saying, man, there's something that has to be done about this. The first two people come along, they looked at the situation and they said, if I get involved, what might it cost me? What might happen to me? But the Samaritan man come along and he said, if I don't do something, what might happen to them? And that compassion and that pity led him to say, I have to do something. Love requires us to do something. It means that when we see a legitimate need that we emotionally connect with, and it's within our capacity to do something that you and I, no matter what state we live in, no matter what laws there are and what laws there aren't, that you and I are required as Christ followers to do something. Because love isn't abstract. It isn't theoretical. Love is concrete and it requires action. Students, middle school, high school students, let me just speak to you for a moment. Let me tell you what this looks like for you. This means in your schools, when you see someone who maybe is being bullied, harassed, sitting alone, maybe doesn't have a friend, 
Loving your neighbor means you go and befriend them. You take action. You don't just say, well, somebody should do something about that. I'm telling you, there's never been a better time for us as Christians to live this out, for you as students to live this out in your schools. There are people right now that are depressed, that are this close to suicide. And I believe God wants to use you students to reach them with his love. Love means moving from compassion to action. Jesus said that we will be known by what? By how we love, not by what we know. The priest and the Levite knew what they should do, but they chose to do nothing. We will be known in our communities by how we love. And I believe when we get this right, this word neighbor is no longer as much of a noun as it truly becomes a verb. It's no longer just a noun, it becomes a verb. It means that you and I are required to action. We're required to love our neighbors as ourselves. So I wanna ask you, where do you find yourself in this story? If you were being honest this morning, where do you find yourself in this story? I hope that at some point we all see ourselves as the wounded traveler in need of a good Samaritan named Jesus who says, you are valuable, you have worth, you are my sons and my daughters. But then it was never meant to just stay with us. God has called us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we must take that compassion and move it to action. Father, today I thank you so much for the story of the Good Samaritan. Father, I thank you that you have already displayed what this looks like for each of us, God. And God, this morning I pray that if there are people here that have never experienced the love that you offer as being their Savior, God, they feel so broken, they feel so beaten, they feel so robbed from life. They've never felt the rescue story of you coming into their life and being their Lord and their Savior, God. I pray that right now this would be the moment for them. For the rest of us, God, who call ourselves Christians, God, I pray that this wouldn't just be another story that we hear, but God, it would be something that we decide that we are going to put into action. God, help us to see people around us in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our schools with your eyes, with your love, with your heart. And God, when we do, may it compel us to action. I pray that you will use students right now in the sound of my voice, God, to transform schools. Use adults who are gonna transform their workplaces, their neighborhoods, God, their workout places. God, just use them in powerful ways to share your love with a world that desperately needs to hear it. God, give us your heart, your wisdom to be able to do this and the courage to actually put into action. In Jesus' name, amen.